Please open the Bible to John 20, verses 19 through 31. John 20, 19. Let us hear the infallible word of God. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, the disciples uh, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and says unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he has so said, he showed unto them his hands on his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so, Send I you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and says unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then says he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus says unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, Thou hast believed. Blessed are they that they have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name. The sermon text tonight is John 20, 
24 and 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. The notion that seeing is believing is a common practice for many. Christians are not exempt from this. Even Thomas, one of the twelve disciples, grounded his belief in what he could see and experience. We know that belief or unbelief is the most important thing in our lives on earth. Not only because the consequences will be vastly different, but also because Jesus Christ emphasized faith greatly. Then, on what basis are we to believe? How our faith can be strengthened? Jesus knows the importance of faith and uses the case of Thomas to instruct his church about the basis, necessary condition, or prerequisite for belief. Verses 24 and 25 reveal that Thomas' prerequisite to believe was not the witnesses, but his personal experience. The theme tonight is prerequisite for Thomas' belief. The first point will be not the witnesses, and the second will be but his own experience. First, the necessary condition to believe is not the witnesses. Verse 24 says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This Thomas has been mentioned twice before this verse in the Gospel of John. The first time was before the resurrection of Lazarus, and the second at the Passover supper. Thomas not only witnessed Jesus' resurrecting Lazarus with his own eyes, but also heard with his own ears that Jesus would come again to receive them. Normally, when the author mentions Thomas for the third time, he would simply mention Thomas, or at most, Thomas, who is called Didymus. 
and the audience will know who he is. Mentioning Thomas as one of the twelve brings to the audience attention of Thomas' special relationship with Jesus and with other disciples. Thomas had the privilege of spending some three years with Jesus Christ. He saw most of Jesus' miracles and heard most of Jesus' teaching in person. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas missed a valuable opportunity to see the resurrected Jesus. Let's go back to that night of gathering which Thomas missed. Verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Despite such such fear, the disciples assembled. God was working in their hearts and gathered them to witness the resurrected Jesus Christ. God could have led Thomas to this event as well, but God did not. God let Thomas hear the witnesses of his fellow disciples and showed us how Thomas reacted. The heart of Thomas would be a window to see our hearts. Now, the apostles witnessed to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas did not believe them. Although he had more than two or three witnesses, their testimonies were not the basis for Thomas' belief, or at least not enough. These witnesses were no strangers to Thomas. They were the fellow disciples of Jesus. They all gave up almost everything to follow Christ and lived together with each other for three years. It was possible for one disciple to see the Lord wrongly. But these disciples were all testifying that the Lord was alive. Although these disciples were not perfect, Thomas should have known that they would not bear false witness about such an important matter. Before seeing the risen Christ, many of the disciples, like Thomas, did not believe Jesus' resurrection, but now they testified that they have indeed seen the Lord. Not only did Thomas not believe the witnesses of the disciples, but also ignored the witness of the Scripture. Psalm 16, verse 10 declares, For thou 
wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Isaiah 53 verse 11 testifies that after the Messiah was buried, the Messiah shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Isaiah implies that the Messiah will be resurrected after being buried. Sadly, the scriptural witness did not make Thomas trust and believe. Thomas was not like the Bereans who studied the Bible every day to see if Paul's words could be proved from the Bible. For Thomas, neither the eyewitnesses of the disciples nor the scripture were not the prerequisite that could make Thomas believe. Then what was the basis for Thomas to believe? Thomas' necessary condition to believe is his own experience. For Thomas to believe, he must see and experience by himself. Verse 20 says that the other disciples believed when they saw Christ, but Thomas was not as easy to believe as the other disciples. Seeing certainly helps a person to believe, but seeing alone was not enough for Thomas. He also needed to touch. Seeing without touching may be seeing a soul or spirit only, for a spirit has not flesh and bones. Thomas knew that Jesus appeared when the doors were shut, and Thomas wanted to be very sure that Jesus was truly physically risen. He said, except I shall see in his hands the nail print. So on. Thomas wanted to see the print of the nails in the hand of Jesus. Thomas would not settle by seeing Jesus' face only. Thomas wanted to see Jesus' hands and confirm that there were nail marks on them. Thomas not only wanted to confirm Jesus was alive, but also that the crucified Jesus was alive. Seeing is not enough for Thomas. He must put his finger into the nail marks in Jesus' hands and thrust his hand into a wound on Jesus' side. This is not just touching. Touching is to touch the surface. But here Thomas wanted to put his finger into the nail marks and his hand into the side. He wanted to feel depth rather than the surface only. Probing into the marks and wound 
is not in, enough for Thomas. He must measure them. Measure them. He did not say that he must put his finger into the print of the nail and thrust his finger into the side. He planned to place his finger into the nail print and place his hand into the side. He knew the would-be size of the nails and would-be size of the side wound. A a spearhead could be a large and would leave a big hole of a hand size in the pierced body if the piercer spun, spun the spear after piercing. Thomas' senses were his prerequisite for him to believe. Only concrete and tangible things could give him confidence or assurance before he could say that, I believe. Others' witness cannot convince Thomas, or at least their witnesses alone cannot make him believe. Is this a solid foundation for belief? Verse 29 says, Jesus says unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It was good that Thomas believed. But Jesus disapproved the common sense of seeing is believing. Then what should be the ground for believing the resurrection of Jesus. Let's go back to the road to Emmaus and see to what basis Jesus directed them. Two disciples, not recognizing the reason Jesus told him about the life and the crucifixion of Jesus, and about their hearsay of his resurrection. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27 says, Then Jesus said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus pointed the two disciples to the foundation of their belief the scripture, namely the witness of God. Jesus did not show them his hands and his side this time or let them ask ask other disciples who saw the risen Jesus, but reminded them only of the scriptural witness. 
we see here three kinds of witness for Jesus' resurrection. The witness of the scripture, the eyewitness of the others, and personal experience. Then, which of the three is required or a must for one's belief of Jesus' resurrection? Jesus, in verse 29, excluded personal experience as a must-have requirement for belief. Then, are others' witnesses required for one to believe the resurrection? Not necessarily. Jesus told us the story of the beggar Lazarus and the rich man. In hell, the rich man pleaded with Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his five brothers, hoping to prevent them from sharing his fate. In Luke 16, 29 verses uh, 29 through 31, Abraham said unto the rich man, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said unto the rich man, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Abraham implied that the word of God alone was sufficient ground for the rich man's five brothers to believe hell and repent. If we, despite the sufficient witness of the word of God, add something else as a must before we can believe, we are like the brothers of the rich man. Such reliance on extra witnesses is a form of unbelief. The word of God alone is sufficient for belief. Noah believed God's warning of the flood without any other witness. Jesus believed his resurrection without any witness from others. God's people believed, believe that God created the world. It is impossible to have any human witness when God created the world. God's people do not require human witness before they believe God's creation. While the scripture witness is the only necessary or required basis for belief, God often uses others' witness and sometimes personal experience to help one believe. This use of three kinds of witnesses does not mean all three are absolutely necessary for one to believe, but God has a priestly heart touched with the infirmity 
he knows that some of us do not have strong faith. We sometimes, in our infirmities, cannot believe solely because the Word of God says so, but need others' witness and our own personal experience to be sure. Jesus came to Thomas, touched with the feeling of Thomas' infirmity. However, we should not misunderstand God's condescending accommodation of our weakness. We may think that because God accommodates our actual requirements many times, this reliance on actual witness or personal experience is a normal or even good with God. No. Jesus contrasted Thomas believing based on seeing with the believing based not on seeing. And Jesus said that believing without seeing was blessed. Jesus was not happy with those who could not believe until they saw something miraculous. In John 4, verse 48, said Jesus unto a father and those around him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. After these words, Jesus still performed the miracle, and then some believed. God does not belittle or reject such weak faith. The weak faith of Thomas was also faith. But Jesus pointed Thomas to believing without seeing. Then, what are the relationships among the three kinds of witnesses? Namely, scriptural witness, others' witnesses, and our own personal experience. Children, picture a bridge over deep water. Some portion of the bridge have guardrails on both sides. Some portions of the bridge have railings only on one side. And some portions have no railings on either side. Consider the railing on the left as the testimony of others that is consistent with the Bible. And the railing on the right as your own testimony or your own personal experience that is consistent with the Bible. The bridge deck is the word of God. You must walk on the breeze deck, which means that your faith must be firmly placed on the word of God. 
The bridge railings help keep you on the bridge. Likewise, others' witnesses and your personal experience, consistent with the Bible, help keep you in the faith. However, you cannot base your faith solely on men's testimonies or your own senses. Feelings, or other forms of personal experience. If that is the case, you are like walking on the bridge railings instead of walking on the bridge deck. No matter how great the others' witnesses are, or how precious your personal experience are, you cannot. Depend only on them. How dangerous would it be for you to leave the bridge deck and walk on a very narrow railing? Also, you should not insist that there must be a left railing before I can walk, or there must be a right railing before I can walk. The only one thing that is absolutely necessary for you to walk is the bridge. Itself. However, do not despise the railings, because they help you walk safely on the deck. Do not rely only on the railings, or walk on them, because the railings are not designed by God for you to put your whole weight on them, even your whole life on that, and. Walk on them; they are only helping rails. This does not mean that we do not pursue personal experiences of the truth. On the contrary, we need to taste the truth, and such personal experiences greatly enhance. Our understanding and appreciation of the truth. However, we do not put our personal experiences of the truth as a necessary condition to believe the truth. Although the witnesses of others and our personal experiences help us believe. Or even are very instrumental for our belief. They are not the prerequisite for belief. The only necessary thing for faith is the Word of God. Requiring seeing before believing deviates from the essence of faith. Now, faith is. The substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Romans eight twenty four states, "For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why?" Does he yet hope for? 
invisibility is in the core of the faith. Belief or unbelief leads to vastly different consequences, requiring seeing before believing is a form of unbelief and has deadly consequences. If one insists on seeing before believing, the moment of seeing could be the moment of fatal danger. There is a sad story in Second King, chapter 6 and 7. Syrian army besieged Samaria. The famine was so great that some of the Israelites cooked each other's children and ate them. Amidst the misery, God promised great relief within 24 hours through the prophecy of Elisha. Second King 7 verse 2 says, Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. When the promise came true, the, believing, the unbelieving man was tramp, trampled to death by the multitude. It was too late for him to believe upon seeing. Similarly, if we do not believe the final judgment or hell until we see it, then we will be too late. There is nothing that is more dangerous and devastating than unbelief. Unbelief can be a blunt unbelief or can be a subtle unbelief which requires seeing before believing. The man who has such a subtle form of unbelief gives impression that he is humble and he is willing to believe on condition. This conditional belief keeps him from believing and even make him comfortable with his unbelief. Do you believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God? If you hesitate to say that you believe, what is preventing you from believing? Is the testimony of the scripture enough for you to believe or not? Do you need some special 
feeling or emotion before you can believe. Do you need something special to cause you to believe? If you have special experiences, they can be very helpful. But my question to you is this. Are these things a must for you before you can believe? Imagine a little child. He believes what his dad says very simply. A toddler does not require others' witnesses or his own experience before he can trust his dad. He simply believes. You may think this sort of belief is too easy. It is right that you caution caution against easy believism. Easy believism refers to a way of believing by intellectual consent of some basic gospel truths and a sinner's prayer, but without any real change of life. I think easy believism should be labeled as false believism because this so-called faith without good works later is a false faith. Falsehood is at the core of easy believism not the word easy. The Bible does not differentiate between easy belief and hard belief. Rather, it distinguishes between true faith and false faith. In a sense, the thief on the cross believed easily. Childlike faith is, in a sense, an easy faith. An easy faith could be a true faith or a false faith, depending on whether the easy faith produces the fruit of the Spirit later. Do you Believe. John 20, verse 31 says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you trust that you can come to him just as you are and he can cleanse all your sins by his blood? What is your answer 
yes or no. You may have a yes but answer, but in God's sight, there is this is a yes or no question. John 3.16 presents only two options, yes or no. In a courtroom cross-examination, the attorney will demand a straightforward response, either yes or no, no additional words. You are required to condense all your thoughts into yes or no. If you cannot deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you cannot deny that you trust Him, then your heart says, Yes. You do not need extra things beside the testimony of God. The Word of God, the testimony of the triune God, is all sufficient ground for you to believe, isn't it? When you believe, you are engrafted to the vine of Jesus by faith, and then you will start to change. You will walk not by sight, but by faith, and your life will be different. These changes over the years testify to the truthfulness of your faith. On the contrary, if your life after your confession of faith does not change at all, or it changes only outwardly, your life testifies against your confession of faith. Your faith is false. Note the order here. The faith first, and then the change of life as a fruit later. You cannot reverse the order. Finding fruit first before belief is not only a wrong order, like putting the cart before the horse, but also totally impossible. By faith, we are engrafted into the vine of Christ. And then we start to change like a branch of the vine. There is no fruit at all before we are engrafted into Christ by faith. Boys and girls, do you think in your heart that you might come to faith later when 
you grow in godliness like your mom or sister. Remember, you cannot be godly without believing in Jesus. If you do not believe, as you grow older, you may become either ungodly or merely appear morally godly, which is essentially a hypocrite. A toddler comes to his dad simply, without the need to walk well. Before he comes, ask your heart: Do I believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God? Do I trust that I can come to Him with all my filthiness, because He will cleanse all my filthiness by His blood? Can I say no? Can I say yes? Do not try to search for the fruit of the spirit in your life before you answer yes or no. At this moment, set aside your desire to find good changes in your life, because these changes will come later after you believe. Focus now on. Do I believe, and do I trust? Your heart will cry with an answer. Making personal experience a mandatory, a mandatory requirement for belief can hinder individuals from having faith. Such. An unwarranted requirement can also influence believers. Dear child of God, when you are in great affliction, do you need some tangible tokens of love to be sure that God still loves you? Romans eight thirty-five says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Is this word of God enough for you to believe that God still loves you, or? Do you need something more personal, and then you can believe, dear child of God? If you sin, a great sin, and are very depressed, you doubt that you may be a reprobate. You want to. End your life under the influence of depression. Do you believe what Jesus said? Him that 
cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Can you trust his word and come to him again? Do you need some powerful feeling to assure you that you are not a reprobate? Can you just come to Jesus believing that he will in no wise cast out anyone who comes to him? If we add something as a requirement before we can believe, we also lose enjoyment and comfort of many promises of God. Children, you may desire to visit a dream country. Your dad promises that upon graduation, he will bring you there. You enjoy such promises with excitement and imagination. You may have begun to share this good news with your friends and even have started to plan while you are waiting because you believe your dad and his promise. On the contrary, if you doubt about the promise until you see it, you do not enjoy anything about this promise before the promise becomes true. And your dad is not pleased either. Likewise, doubting Christians hear the promises of God without much excitement or enjoyment. Promises means little to their hearts before the promises, promises become reality. God often offers the best thing in his promises and requires faith to enjoy them. If you possess a general inclination toward doubt, it can be it can significantly affect your ability to enjoy God. In contrast, a childlike faith believer experiences an easy enjoyment of God and has a more appropriate, appropriate character for the chief end of man. If you have a doubting tendency, pray for the childlike faith from the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, Thomas' necessary condition to believe was not the witnesses, but his own personal experience. Dear unbelieving friends, are you 
looking for some personal experiences before you can believe. Boys and girls, are you delaying to answer yes or no question until you become godly enough to believe in Jesus? Is the testimony of God in the scripture enough? Dear believers, are you believing and enjoying God's promises in the scripture before you see them? We, as children of God, are like riding a kid's bicycle before the sight of our Heavenly Father. The Word of God is like the two regular bicycle wheels. Others' witness is like the left side removable training wheel. And our own experience is like the right side removable training wheel. As you grow, God may remove the training wheels and you ride more by faith. By faith in God and his word, not by sight. You will enjoy God a lot more by enjoying all his promises with your childlike faith. Seeing is no longer your required condition to believe. You simply believe without seeing because the word of God says so. Jesus says to you tonight, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we cry as the father of a sick child. We believe, but help thou mine unbelief. If we look deep into our hearts, there are so many dark places and their roots are unbelief. Lord, unroot our unbelief day by day by the word of God, the sword of the Holy Spirit. 
build thy church by strengthening our faith, by leading those struggling friends to believe in the word of God. Thou hast said, these things are written that ye might believe Jesus is Christ. The Bible is written that we may believe. May each one, each struggling soul of this congregation or beyond may simply believe like a toddler. They do not need to behave well before they come. And they cannot behave well well before they come. And Jesus welcomes children. And may the children in our congregation do not delay until they have more experience, more godliness, more anything of more personal things. These things are written for them to believe. And they may have faith early. And they may surrender their lives early that they may be useful early. Lord, help us. Help our our unbelief. Forgive our unbelief. Cleanse us our unbelief. May thy church be filled with the Holy Ghost full of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please thee. So fill us with faith. We pray in the precious name, Jesus. Amen.